Hey friends, thanks for joining us for today's show, which is about natural wood and unbleached silk. Two images, two techniques really, for understanding the way in which aesthetics helps us spiritually and ways in which understanding minimalism, simplicity, and naturalness in our lives is very healing in these times of anxiety and technological growth, exponential technological change, and a world filled with plastic. Friends, thanks for being with us. Friends, perhaps you have come to this show precisely at the right time, a time when you need to recenter and find healing through the simplest of things. Let's go. Go with me here for a minute, Jeff. Here we've we've been to a lot of different uh, cafeterias, right? Yes. Uh, there's a lot of times where, and I'm talking about like the kind of cafeterias too, where it's like, you know, you have various stations, maybe always a salad bar kind of thing, right? Um, so when, when you walk into a cafeteria, just describe for me your thought process of how you, how you survey the cafeteria, how you make your choices. Well, I personally find a way to get as much protein and valuable food (laughs) versus stuff that I could get at home for cheap. How can I fill my plate up with stuff that I couldn't afford to fill my plate up with otherwise? So you maximize, you're maximizing the, the, the dollar amount, basically, kind of, or, or the maybe all of the nutrients that you feel like you need. Yes. If I'm at a cafeteria, say, in Vegas, I'm hitting the uh, crab legs or something. If there's oysters or something, you know. I would also say that I tend to steer away from lines where there's a long wait. No matter how much I want an omelet, I don't really need to watch that dude make me an omelet. I'll just grab the eggs, scoop them up, (laughs) get to business. Why do you ask? Well, so I know like with me, when I'm going into a cafeteria, I walk around and I see what all the options are, right? Uh, You check it all out first. I check it all out. And then what I do is... I usually like take a piece from this section and a piece from that section. So like very rarely do I just like stand in the one line, here's your, you know, here's your one meal you're going to get. And these are the sides you're going to get at that station. I don't usually, I don't, I'm not settled in on what they're plating together for me. I, uh, yes. I maybe take the main dish from one area. Yes. I go into another part and get it, grab a side dish. Maybe I even then take my main dish that I was given, I go over to the salad bar and I dress it up a little bit with maybe maybe some onions or maybe some some cheese or I have done this myself. I whatever else. Like feel I feel this, yeah. I go and I like I basically like kind of invent for myself a plate that I'd be happy with, um, from all of the whole things I I sometimes, you know, again, not always the the purpose of the one thing, right? The one thing was supposed to be just for the salad bar, but then I dress up my main dish with with some of that stuff, mm. that kind of thing. So, how does this how does this relate? How does this relate to, <laughs> to, to natural the wood? Natural wood and the unbleached silk. 
Yes, I would say that. Um, so there's the natural wood. First of all, when we talk about this in the Tao Te Ching, uh, it is often mentioned as the, the uncarved block, right? A lot of the old translations. That's what people know. And, you know, one of the things as we were researching sort of, you know, about it, the problem with it in our estimation and what other others also have mentioned is that the the wood that's already put into a block is no longer in its natural form. I mean, it may not have been dressed up and carved into other things, but it was already fashioned into a block. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is something. Ah. And... So what I'm, when I, my approach to the cafeteria is sort of, in a certain sense, a little bit of um, my thinking about the uncarved, uh, the natural wood. Mm. Um, when something is designed for a certain purpose, right, mm-hmm. you only can kind of see something in one way. Ah, yes. And you don't necessarily see all of its potential, you know, you, and I know, I mean, our brains are hardwired to take shortcuts that we're not like processing every mm. single thing from the beginning as if we knew nothing about it. You know, mm. we take shortcuts, but it is this automatic sort of shortcut type thing that we do that I do think that we limit ourselves um, when we make these assumptions, right? Mm, I like it. And so with natural wood... You're going back to the very beginning of what something is before it was turned into anything else, before it was crafted into a tool and given a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's, it is, it just is, and it has unlimited potential, if you will. Yeah. I mean, obviously the size of it and certain right, things. Right, right, right. Well, it's, its potential is intrinsic to itself. It has a potentiality. Mm-hmm. So with my cafeteria thing, again, it's just that idea of almost thinking of all of the potential for all of these different ingredients and how can they be mm. mixed together in a new fashion and not one that was just automatically given to me um, yes. <laughs> so that it, you know, each thing or whatever I like this. can be out of the box thinking, if you will, <laughs> to then fashion it into something else that I find enjoyable. I dig it. I think where you're going with it is really important because not everybody understands or sees the idea of this natural wood in the same way. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and this this comes from the Tao Te Ching and other Taoist texts. Basically the idea that when you think about meditation and mindfulness, just beholding some natural thing can be very helpful and very healing. You're stressed out, you're filled with anxiety, get out into nature. Mm-hmm. You're stressed out in your workplace. Maybe it's because there's too much plastic and sterile clinical um, aesthetic. Yeah. Having an aesthetic that is natural, having clothes that are natural, mm. having clothes that help to cultivate a sense of fluidity within yourself um, versus... Ellen Watts talks yeah. about all the different outfits, right? And men's, yes. particularly men's outfits and how he, we saw this video where... Um, you we'll know, link to it at Protect Your Noggin. Yeah, he's showing how, um, you know, the businessman's suit that Americans often wear is very constricting. It's... Not natural. <laughs> not natural. It's a, And meant not to be natural. Right. You're putting on... 
your uniform, your suit, right? That For your unnatural job. <laughs> and he talks about how the suit is really drawing from an unhelpful, for civilian life, unhelpful aspects of military dress, military uniforms. That actually comes from Britain, and Britain goes and colonizes the whole world. Now Indians and Africans and Arabs and Chinese, Japanese business people all wear the British suit this constricting thing. Mm-hmm. And of course he, I, I don't, th- this is a great, I think argument why he, what he wasn't necessarily doing a cl- cultural appropriation. He's saying, wait, this is a really great idea, whether it's togas or, uh, um, kimonos that there's a way for dudes to be a little more comfortable by wearing what people think is too feminine today. Something fluid and something open and something that allows you to sit and move and, and get on the floor and sit in a meditative position, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, that makes it almost impossible. We get a lot of, I mean, I remember before we moved up here, like I remember I was in Irvine and somebody just kind of wanted to kick my butt for wearing some very cool um, pants. The like Oaxacan these, the pants. pants that allowed me to like kind of... They breathe. They breathe and use it for yoga or for meditation. And it just pissed somebody off well they're often made with brighter colors and stuff like that and it was just yeah it's like you aren't allowed to have that much i guess individuality or whatever and i it is interesting the whole idea of uniforms in general if you think about business suits and stuff and you mentioned how even when sydney would come home from her albertson's outfit like you'd all of a sudden be like "Ooh, here's a a worker, somebody in charge, you know 20 year old gal who's got (laughs) this badge i'm like oh an important you know, person. But it's also, it's know. interesting too, because um, if she was ever wearing Albertson's outfit and we would go out to eat, she would never get carded. Right. But if she's wearing her normal clothes, she would definitely get carded. Yes. You know, it's just, yeah. there is this weird sense of which, like what the whole, putting on a uniform. Also right. even think about psychologically what you're doing when you're putting on your workplace's uniform. Mm-hmm. It takes away your individuality in that setting, right? And mm-hmm. you are a worker for this company or, you know, this, this brand, this name, this brand, right? Yeah. Um, and it takes away your autonomy and you are here clocking in yeah. for your, your work, the job you're doing for them. They, you know, almost slap them on you (laughs) and that's that's your that's what your you know job is and so whether even that's a suit or whatever you know i mean who on their days off wears a suit you don't wear a suit (laughs) on your day off i mean (laughs) unless you're gonna go to some fancy event right or something you know um that's the only time but you're not gonna like get up in the morning Put on your dress pants yeah, and your, your button-down shirt, yeah. you know, or your, you know, whatever, your business attire. We'll link know? to this video because one of the things that, that is interesting with Alan Watts is he shows the way the kimono is is made. And it, it allows the natural fabric to to inform the way that you craft this. And that by doing that, by allowing the naturalness of the garment to make the best out of the material you also have a human being who's more comfortable it's very interesting whereas if you're fitting the material to the human 
it actually doesn't fit right. Right. It doesn't feel right. It's very strange. Right. It's con- it's constricting and it constricts the movements that you can make. Right. And again, this is this is related to this idea in the Taoist tradition, which I think is really really groovy, of being able to contemplate, behold, look at, meditate on something natural. In the case of the Taoist tradition, it was this was taken from things that were natural things in their environment, wood for building and things, and then unbleached silk. And you can exchange this or you can swap in other things that are natural in your life. But I do want to make a, a, a brief uh, warning or set out a brief warning here, and that is that within... Uh, within some of the back to nature community, um, the vegan world, uh, natural foods, anti-GMO stuff, there is a, an element of um, kind of fascist and fascist adjacent discourse where it's about purity. Mm. So there's a little bit of this nutter kind of conspiracy theory thing mm. that goes on where people that are, Taoist hippies might be really against artificial processed toxic food, right? Right, right. Because right. of the capitalism and, and the health and all this. And then in the same conversation, sometimes there will be people who just want things that are pure. There's this fetish for purity. That's what the actual, like, kind of the Nazis were into also. And that's just worth noting that they were saying, Hey, no, we've got to have pure grains and stuff. They it's debated, but the idea that Hitler was a vegetarian Hmm. is because of that. It's not so much an ethical issue. It's a matter of impurities. So when you talk about the impurities in the body and toxins and some, sometimes that's weird territory. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that we're not purists in that sense. We're saying that you will be healthier if you eat healthier natural food. Right. But the idea that, you know, there is no value in having something genetically modified if it can be done well. Well, the chemicals that we put into preserve things just aren't good for our bodies. Right. Right. The preservatives. And so, you know, you're putting that into, right. you know, so in that sense, like, you know, look at what, what's healthy for you. Yeah. Right. It's very, like what you eat, what you wear, all of this is when we talk about full spectrum emancipation, we emancipate our minds from mental slavery. We emancipate ourselves from economic slavery, from uh, from foolish adherence to aesthetics in our house and products and things and foods that aren't really good for us, but they are the product of capitalism. Mm-hmm. So that's it's something to pay attention to. But there's also just a meditative element to it, that there's something very grounding. You know this, Stacey. Sometimes yeah. when we're depressed or something, take a walk out. Absolutely. Here, I'm going to read uh, chapter 37 of the Tao Te Ching, which I think it can also kind of hit on what you're saying here. But mm-hmm. I also want to invite sort of another possible layer of something that has struck me with the natural wood or mm-hmm. uncarved block idea. But chapter 37, the Tao does not course, yet everything gets accomplished. If leaders could grasp this Tao, all beings would be transformed spontaneously. Even when transformed beings fall back into old patterns, I calm them down by pointing them to naturalness. This shows them how to rest in the sublime. Resting in the sublime, folks can let go of desire. Letting go of desire everything in the world spontaneously settles back into balance. 
Yeah, that's a good one. And I, I think I see where you're going because it connects. The, yeah. the, the coercion mm-hmm. and naturalness connect. Now, we chose not to say uncarved block, and we didn't say natural wood, partly because our translation, which we hope you pick up, Tao Te Ching, a playfully sincere rendition. We've got a lot of great feedback from people that have read it. They send us notes. Hey, friends, an extra nice thing you could do for us is give it a nice review on Amazon. <laughs> so we got more people that send us emails than do it on Amazon. Feel free to tell us that you like it on Amazon too. Um, but we're glad that anybody that appreciates it appreciates it. But for us, it's largely an attempt that we don't always stick with. Like we kept the, we eventually just kept in straw dogs. But for the most part, we didn't want people to have to have um, an idiom that didn't make sense to them. Right. <clears throat> the downside is it's a little bit abstract, but we're, we were trying to create something that you didn't necessarily have to have a, a commentary to get through. You can read through it, you can kind of think about these ideas, and then you dig in deeper. But that phrase, poo, would be the natural wood. Normally called, norm, normally translated uncarved block. Did you already mention to the dear listener yeah. why you don't like that? Yeah, yeah, because the block already is is a thing. Yeah, it's something you buy at Lowe's. It's not really at that <laughs> point. It's not the same thing as naturalness. Yeah. Um, so we think about like even driftwood is helpful in that regard, but it's probably more helpful than driftwood, which you could turn into something. People have, mm-hmm. but more just natural wood itself, letting the wood, understanding the wood as wood, understanding marble as marble before you cut, uh, carve it out, yeah. but respecting it mm-hmm. instead of enslaving it is the, is the art. Well, and I think even, even a block is something waiting to be formed rather than like natural wood. It may or may not ever be formed in anything. It yeah. could, it's just, it is, you know? Um, but, I don't know. I think there's a, a little bit of an expectation when something is fashioned into a block that this block is either going to be used in and of itself for something mm. or carved into, you know, into something else. Um, it, there's already a, you know, a, a fashioning of it of some yeah. kind. Um, but let me sort of one of the things that I was thinking about um, when, you know, kind of coming up with what, is, you know, thinking through what is it for the uncarved block or the natural wood. And um, one of the, takes that I have like kind of it came to me um while meditating (laughs) and you know one of the things you know you're sitting there meditating and I particularly like you know like this tool of you know thinking of my breathing um and as as I'm meditating you know my stomach is expanding and I'm paying attention to that and then it's contracting and then ultimately something will come into my mind Right. I mean, as much as I keep trying to focus on my breathing, eventually something will pop into my mind. So then then there is this thing. And so what, you know, noticing what it is that's coming into my mind, taking my attention off of my breath, right, is usually something that either I'm worried about or thinking about or whatever. And it often comes with its own story or its own, I'll say, judgment that I put on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's oh, I something that is coming into the mix that then I say, well, <laughs> first of all, interesting to note, but also, is that even true, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like the, the thing I'm telling myself, like, you know, maybe it's even, 
you know, interpreting something that you have done as, you know, maybe I'd be inclined to think that this might be a hurtful thing, but then if I keep an open mind about it, you didn't mean to be hurtful, you know? Um, I, I attributed the, the, the story to your action, right? Now there are some times when people do act in certain ways, but my point is, is that in meditation, you become more aware of, first of all, where your brain is mm. <laughs> when, because often we're just thinking and we don't even realize what we're thinking and it's mm. unconscious. It just happens. Yeah. Right. But then when you are trying in a sense to not think and you're focusing on your breath, then the things that come into your mind, you can start to become aware uh, and aware of like, what are those things? What does my brain do when I'm not paying attention? Right. Yeah. Where, where do I go with it? So the, <laughs> The naturalness to me is sort of kind of going back to sometimes there are things that are just things. And then we put the story and the judgment to it. Okay. Mm. And it's this often is, yeah. when we run away with these ideas that then things kind of get carried away and you and I might have an argument over it or something, you know, and you're like, well, that's not what I meant, but mm. I still see it as this, you know, that type of thing. I'm just trying to like, yeah, Give no, an example, yeah. you know, um, but if I didn't allow myself to just attach the story to it and then just sort of see your actions for what they are and don't get drawn into it myself, right? Mm. It might be something that you've done that is hurtful, right? I'm not saying that, it, you know, that, that things aren't legitimately, you know, not nice to somebody else or something, right. but I also don't have to like get drawn into the offense of it because this is clearly your issue and your problem, mm -hmm. right? doesn't mean I don't try to stop you if you're going to hurt somebody or something. Right. But I don't have to get drawn into it with the same feelings and emotion as if I'm like trapped and now responding with that energy. Mm, I can separate myself a bit, right? And see the thing for what it is without tying in all of my emotions and feelings. And I think in a certain sense that that is the natural wood or the naturalness type of thing is just seeing a thing, what it is without all of the judgments and the stories that we put to something. Mm. And what I like about this particular chapter also, when you think of that idea um, is the section where it says, even when transformed beings fall back into old patterns. Well, what are these old patterns? What these old patterns that we're doing, right? Well, maybe it's just the crazy unconscious ramblings in our brain of the stories yeah. and judgments that we are just prone to do, right? Yeah. Um, I calm them down by pointing them to naturalness. So again, calming down, how you know, what does it mean to calm down? Well, you know, you're like you get taken sort of out of you pull that emotion or that mm -hmm. energy out of the story. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, and this shows them how to rest in the sublime. Mm. Resting in the sublime, folks can let go of desire. And then everything in the world spontaneously settles back into balance. Anyway, I like that that thought of it, that piece of mm -hmm. it, of when, again, when you're not drawn into something and you're just seeing something for what it is, mm -hmm. then you don't have to get wrapped up into the drama of it. Capitalism is therefore, in the sense, unnatural. 
in that it it is uncomfortable and contrived and forced and we and it's artificial it is completely artificial we're not you're, creating you're... this spontaneous joy in our work mm-hmm. we're doing something as part of this machine well and for what money and what is money is a made up thing but yeah. money can help you get more things it can mm-hmm. help you even care for your like go to the doctors right it can yeah. help pay for some of those things but it's all and and the way that capitalism how what's its reward more money yeah one of the best what's its goal yeah maximizing the money. money and even the healing profession has been not spontaneous there there's this you know idea of the ancient healers yeah maybe they got paid but it's like there's like this direct doctor to patient thing when we go through the the kind of the factory mm. of healing when they're not really paying attention no yeah i feel like every time i've been to it it's i understand why it's they're trapped in the system too but it's they're not listening yeah it, sometimes the doctors they're like, okay, I know what this is. You're trying to get drugs or this is the, the, let's process them to the MRI or whatever it is. No one's paying attention. Right. Because money. <laughs> not natural. Well, and. And if there's anywhere that's not very natural, it's a hospital, right? Well, and they're, and they're spending, you know, the more and more time they spend, right? They're not seeing other patients. They're not. It's not efficient. But yeah, they're not producing more money. But take this but to any here's the other thing life, too. Yeah. Here's the other thing, too. <laughs> uh, with our. The healthcare system, I mean, as a death doula, something that, you know, doctors are, they're taught to save people's lives. They're taught to keep people alive. But what also, how, how does that also benefit the system? I mean, if you, yeah. if your customers are dying on you, you're not going to have any more customers. Right. If you keep them alive, then there's, there's still that exchange of, of the money that will happen, which is kind of, that's yeah. a bleak, that's a bleak perspective on it. And I'm not saying that that's what doctors are, are thinking when they're doing this, but I am saying that that capitalism mm-hmm. understands this. I think that's what you do in the role of death doula as just as a birth doula would do that. There's an element. It's not that you issue technology, but it's that there's a value in more of a natural way of dealing spontaneously with these life events. Right. As well as the fact that um, I believe that, Everybody has rights, right? And there's going to be sometimes there's times where you need to make decisions for yourself in your own body. And, you know, do you, you know, do you want to continue, you know, getting care for your cancer or are you done and you're just going to have the most quality of life you can for the remaining time you do have, you and, know? And that second choice for for some religious people is immoral but it might be very sublime naturally fading into the well and and just our yeah. our whole outlook on death anyway um is completely unnatural i think very <laughs> else, well yeah we all are going to die right and at we some don't, point and but we, we don't, don't want to no and we hide it yeah yeah anyway uh, yeah so what is your thought on natural wood? I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you have any other well, takes yeah. on it? I think the main themes are, I think the main theme is very ancient. And it's 
Something I saw with the Akatsus, um, the family that um, let me live in their um, their 22nd floor apartment in uh, Tokyo. And it was the first mystical experience I had. I had never met, really met anybody that had kind of been part of the psychedelic renaissance. I had not been, this was maybe 10 years ago, had not not really been heavily meditating. Mm. And I accidentally found myself meditating. It was very hot. They didn't have a bed. It was just like this thing on the floor, which, you know, listener, if you haven't been following us, Stacy and I sleep on a tatami mat now. We we have a little bit more of a padding than we used to, but <laughs> yeah. getting older. But uh, we love sleeping on that that flat like surface, that hard surface. And, um, but, but I was out there and then I opened up the window or opened, it it was just like a studio room with the bed on the floor, moved out onto the patio, sat on a pillow. What kind of pillow was it? Do you guess? (laughs) A soba bean pillow. Which I am in love with. I highly recommend. We've always, we've always, if friends, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to help invest with us in something, (laughs) we'll hustle it. I'll sell it at farmer's markets, but I've been having a hard time sourcing this, which is the natural ingredient, which is a, I need a really good deal on bulk, uh, uh, husk, buckwheat husk, this soba bean husk, because, um, and, and, in short of that, just go online, find yourself an organic, healthy, um, soba bean pillow and see if it doesn't change your life. Cause not only is it, it never loses its shape. It's really nice. I love the support it gives me. Talk about my pillow guy. This is the best <laughs> pillow is just the natural pillow with these husks. It, it, it breathes really nicely, um, does not, I don't get a lot of allergens out of it. I'm not breathing um, these materials. Well, and a couple things, even if you needed to, um, often they'll come with zippers and you can either refill them. Yeah. You can switch out the buckwheat if you want. Um, you can also take the buckwheat out. Put it out in the sun if you need it to rinse it you know, off. Kind of yep. get get a, a washing of some kind while you wash the cover. But right? most importantly, you can sit upon it as a bolster. As a well, as you can use a bolster. You can lay on it and use it as a bolster for yoga. But you can also sit on it like just a, a meditation pillow. mat pillow. And so I was sitting on one um, lotus position just because it was comfortable and it was really hot in the summer. I was uh, working with a school there in Urawa. And I was looking out over the scene and I had my first and one of the most profound mystical experiences. I just saw Tokyo existing and this dance of Tokyo as like an organism. And I had sat there for like three hours and at like hour three, it was just transcendence. Hmm. And I said, oopsie daisy, I didn't know it could be this good. Hmm. And so that kind of, I think, started my um, journey in that direction um, but why do I mention this? Because a that was just interesting to be <laughs> to me. Um, but the Akatsus, the family that um, owned this place, I had dinner with them one night, and um, I was talking to them how much I was digging the bonsai because mm. I thought well, it was really nice to have nature in the home to have like the little tree. And they said, "Yeah, <laughs> but if you really want the the real jam." They disagreed with traditional bonsai. This is how it has to be done. And then you've got, if you've ever seen it, wires that kind of bend the tree to look natural. Mm-hmm. 
but it's not because no, it's, it's like all, you, it's you all artif- formed. You, it's... you artificially formed it to look like a tree that was. So there is something to it. I'm not poo pooing bonsai. I still think it's fine, and I think the plants are fine with it. You know, that's cool. But it... they said spiritually, the thing that they think is better is a kind of bonsai where they have plants that look wild. They mm-hmm. they they maximize their. They didn't even like ikebana. I've tried to get Sydney, who does the flowers. By the way, go to DowSurfers.com if you want to see some of the things we do. Uh, we'd be glad to work with you if you have a special life event and you want a spiritual but not religious life event. Stacy and I are ordained now by the, what's it called? <laughs> I don't Universal Life Church. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and both of us have performed you know, wedding ceremonies and, and various things. And anyway, that, that's the thing. But also on our website... You can find out more information about Stacy's death doula stuff, but you can also find out there's a little spot on that um, page for Sydney's flower shop, which she will um, help work with you. And one of the things that's a principle for, not necessarily what you're going to see on that layout there, but she was, I've always tried to get her to get into Ikebana because I just kind of want to go to the class, which is a Japanese floral arrangement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she'll do it. She's not against it, but... There is something a little too formula, too formulaic about it. Mm. There's too there's too much like restriction, mm-hmm. just a little too much. At least as she sees it, and I get it because that's what the Akatsu said. The Akatsu said have natural grasses, have things that almost look overgrown, like things that look like they're actually out in a field rather than this perfectly controlled thing. So that's one of the things that comes to my mind. But when I go back to Japan, the key thing is the aesthetic of Japan is very healing in our times of technology and plastic. Mm-hmm. By which I mean, you've got the inclusion of natural elements in your space mm-hmm. as, as being very helpful and important. So it's not just natural wood. I highly recommend getting houseplants <laughs> if you can keep them alive. Get a cactus if, if, if nothing else. But having those things in your office space, having those things in your home, having your yard... This is another thing. Move more towards a natural landscape with indigenous So you're not plants. fighting. I mean, it just also makes sense. You're not fighting against the elements. You're... With, a, with a lawn. Right. So, I mean, I think everything that we do when we talk about, again, full spectrum emancipation is the, is the idea that there's this intersection. Getting ourselves free from cults is seemingly different from getting ourselves free from capitalism or political ideology, but it also is helping us get ourselves free from cheap plastic products for our own mental and spiritual well-being. To try to get our yards, if we have yards, if all we have is a little windowsill, but having naturalness in our space is very, very good for us emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. Well, and I know for me, um, one of my favorite ways of sort of kind of recalibrating myself is to go on a hike, Um, which with my knee being hurt has been um, sort of taken out of the equation a little bit. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I definitely feel it in my soul. I mean, we still get out, but I definitely long for that hike again. And maybe, do you feel like maybe we could go for a hike after this? Maybe or not a hike. We'll take a little walk. I can take a, I can take a, a short walk for Bef- sure. Before I, I want to say to answer the question though, um, accepting that these materials are beautiful and they will float away. Mm. Accepting that these materials are wonderful and letting them be, but not trying to hold on to them is, I think, part of it. There's a lot of stuff that we put in our houses that we want to be permanent. Mm. 
um, steel things. Uh, there's a very sterile steel kind of thing. I love that our house is filled with so much wood molding and, and it's just this deep natural color in the walls and the wood floors. I love the wood floors. We've got this, what we're looking at here, this silk rug that was given to us by the, by the, well, I won't mention their name, um, but a beloved family, um, Persian family. And I just, I just, um, I love being able to meditate at home with this stuff around me. Mm -hmm. And even these like Mexican blankets here that we got, um, just feeling the threads. I like that. I don't like, like, I don't like, I don't like synthetic yoga stuff that much. Although I do like yoga pants and stretchiness, <laughs> but I like, I don't, but. Well, you, stuff it, can't breathe through the, the synthetic. Not as much. And this, stuff. and, and, and just feeling that, you mm -hmm. know, is I think very healthy, but it also reminds us of our connection to nature. It reminds us that these materials are impermanent, that we are impermanent, but that also makes them beautiful, mm -hmm. you know? And I think so many times we want to get something that doesn't go away. Well, it's all going to rust yeah. someday. It's all going to collapse into uh, the void. Can I read another chapter? Please. Yeah, so this is chapter 28 out of the Tao Te Ching. Understand the masculine yang principle, but treasure the feminine yin principle. Let a river of life flow out of you. Be this river of life, and duh will spring up all around you. Then you can breathe deep in faith, like a little baby. Understand the white, but treasure the black. Be an example for the whole world. Serving, in as, serving as an example for others, you'll still have sufficient duh to rest in the infinite. Understand glory, but treasure humility. Make yourself lowly, like the deepest valley. Do this, and you can harness enough of duh's flow of energy to move mountains. Special instruments are carved from a single piece of natural wood. A sage understands how to orchestrate something beautiful with these various instruments, yet they treasure the organic whole from which everything arises. Yeah, I've been really loving that one. That's a good one. And because I think about the flute wizard mm -hmm. yeah. and some of the, the folks when we when we hang out, I've been enjoying, although it's an interesting thing at the uh, Nalu Kava, there's a, a open mic night where people come, some dude comes in with an oud, some guy's got a guitar, yeah, um, they have all drums, but these natural instruments, you know, are very meditative and very nice. And, but the, the idea of the flute, or in your case, you've been picking up the didgeridoo, mm -hmm. the didgeridoo carved out by ants naturally out of a piece of the tree. Yeah. And then you blow into it and you let the natural wood vibrate. It makes its own sound, yeah. It's just like this incredible secret chord ohm thing that comes out of it. Stacey, let's do that today. If we don't hike, let's do that. <laughs> okay. But you, when when we do our meditation, I you know, I was asked I invited you the other day to join me with my technique. Yes. What was my technique? Your technique is to basically um you know, you're in, you're sitting in the meditative posture, but then listening to music uh, and at high volume, high volume, so that it I call this I, pl I call this playlist medicine. Mm -hmm. And so, even you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's just a playlist that you're playing from your phone, and so there is a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of these songs that are very digital. Mm -hmm. And have a very digital sound. Got some ambient stuff there that is peculiar. 
<laughs> I like it because to me, it's a journey to overcome. It's like it, it, my, uh, my kind of hyperactive mind needs this overstimulation to be able to meditate. Well, you can focus. I mean, I don't know what you focus on, but if you focus on the music, and I just, don't focus on the music. You just, I focus on my meditation and the music is like white noise that drowns out. It, it's, it, it kind of drowns out other distractions mm-hmm. and just puts my brain into a space where it's like something I don't have to focus on, but part of my brain can focus on that instead of not having my grading done or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I'm at a school where there's no grades. <laughs> but in the past, you know, that kind of yeah. thing where like, what am I doing wrong or whatever. Um, hmm. So for me, I found that I it was a it was definitely a challenge for me because I was often on the brink of what I feel is overstimulation uh, yeah. because it's just so much and it's like so much coming at me. So when I would start to feel that, then I would just, again, go back to my breath and focusing on my breathing so that I didn't buy into the story mm. that myself tells itself regarding this mm. music being too much for me. And then by th- with that, then it again, it gets it out of a judgment state mm. where I'm saying like, I can't handle this. I can't be here. I mean, there was a time though. I was like, okay. I've had enough. Like I didn't need to do more than a half an hour or something at the time, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. like, but I, I was proud of myself for kind of overcoming. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't be proud of yourself or anything with meditation. But my point is, is that being able to sit in that room with Satisfied. that much yeah. um, stimulation and being able to, to separate my story from this noise because that's the other piece of meditation is there is a a sense of freedom that Mm. comes from meditation. Like you can be in any situation in any spot and then. Okay. Wait real fast. Okay. (laughs) This is the, this is puff and puff hasn't been on the show very often. Now, Sydney is visiting her grandparents in Tennessee. Mm Mm-hmm. She's just pretty close to where we used to live in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she hasn't had a lot of contact with with some of her relatives there um, recently. And this is a really powerful time, and I'm really happy for her, and hope she'll have some great stories for us when she comes back. But this cat, when she's around, pretends I don't exist. (laughs) And now she pretends like we're besties, and she's a little mad that I'm podcasting instead of paying attention to her. her, And only her. Yeah, but I do love you, baby. But, you know, it's a, it's a little fickle. little fickle. Oh, look at it. She's just like loving my knee. <laughs> well, and cats, you know, cats do their own thing. They do their own thing. Dogs are your loyal companions often uh, or can yeah. be. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> loyal. <laughs> Definitely loyal. Not always behaved, but loyal. I'm sorry. Where were we? We were talking. Oh, but so, but to the, to the thing, though, with the meditation. I um, agree, though, that my favorite stuff is organic. It's the flute wizard. It's it's uh, the tabla. It's uh, oh, Om Shanti Om. Uh, it's um, it's uh, Alice Coltrane. Mm. It's my spiritual jazz vinyl. Mm. Ooh, mm-hmm. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to hear the reed instrument. I want to hear the breath. I want to hear all this stuff. And I agree that generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of the very digital sounding digital music yeah um there's some times when it's pretty groovy there's no doubt but like for uh, generally what's really frustrating is you go on to uh you know a, a streaming service you go you go into um, apple or um, 
or Spotify and you want to find meditation music, you'll often find cheap, manufactured, just kind of mass-produced Zen meditation. And it's just digit. It's just kind of like synth stuff. That's fine, but it's just it, it's uninspiring. But when you get some of these uh, these natural instruments from around the world, the world music and and drumming and and the the real skins on the drum, there's something about it. Mm-hmm. When you hear the rainmaker, when you hear the didgeridoo, when you hear um, the blocks knocking together, that is a sound that's really really helpful. Well, and, and think about even just the power of drum circles right and yeah. people are drumming in it there's something about oh i love doing that wow that's today <laughs> oh <laughs> i just don't want to go when it's wet yeah it is, it is pretty rough <laughs> we, but, let's go to a drum circle soon. but i will say that um friends you can see how our days go we've got work to do and then there's there's the dishes but then there's also now on the list <laughs> hiking <laughs> drum circle playing the didgeridoo playing the didgeridoo maybe we'll do it all all right <laughs> um but anyway um when we're at a drum circle, there's a difference even like when I, I feel like when I'm drumming on a drum versus mm. just being a, a watcher or, you know, yeah. I mean, there's still being a watcher or observer of it all is still interesting because you're feeling everything pulsate, mm. you know, but like, you know, like the, the, the sounds. Like you can come like, and dance. Yeah. And it, and it, but there's something also about like mm. feeling also being a part of that and then, mm. you know, all, all together, the, the whole, the whole big group anyway. So the, but the idea is that not only I think does this principle from the Tao Te Ching give us an indication of the value of taking a walk in nature or having natural things in our home. It also, I think says that we should also curate some good natural sounds in our environment. Like it's really, I think helpful for us to, if you, if you don't want something exotic sounding, Having nature sounds in your space, probably good for you. Mm-hmm. I really I really appreciate it myself. Um, thinking about the clothes you wear and, and finding natural foods and being connected to that, like a kind of diet where you are eating the food for what it is and not overproducing it, but mm-hmm. letting it have its... I mean, that's why I, I like the sushi. I like to just enjoy each of the flavors for what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, or a good Italian dish to me is just good basil, good mozzarella, good bread, good whatever it is. But it's just like good quality stuff. And I'm really digging these breads now that you've been getting that have little seeds in them. And and it's not bread anymore. It's like a, a feast of grains and mm, seeds. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really I think that's in addition to how healthy it might be. It's interesting in my own life why that's valuable. I said that those materials will float away, but I also think it's about, I think a very important piece of the Taoist tradition here, and I don't think it's not in Zen, but I think what's nice about the Tao Te Ching is that we are to have a certain detachment from the world, but also a love for the world. Appreciation for it, but not an attempt to cling to it too too hard. Mm -hmm. So that I think the the phrase that I wrote, wrote down when I was thinking about this is unique unity. Mm. everything will go away, but is still part of the one, but it's also unique. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's his own. So we sometimes think, Oh, I'm going to obliterate myself through meditation. No, it's like you're honoring the, t- the transitoriness of the world, but you're also celebrating it. And that's why some of the best Taoist and Japanese art or poetry takes this natural thing 
and puts it into the poetry and lets you behold it. Mm-hmm. That idea of art, I think, is really groovy. It's like you, you, and you, friends, you probably know this. You find a st- stone that becomes meaningful to you on a vacation or a, a flower or something, you press it. So bringing that thing in and honoring it and celebrating that natural thing is pretty powerful. And therefore, there's a, uh, a spirituality to our aesthetics that we should pay more attention to. Yeah, and I would say that that kind of um, goes <laughs> goes along with chapter 15 of the Tao Te Ching. Can I read one more? Please. One last chapter. Uh, the ancient Tao surfers were keen, deep, and inexpressibly artful. There is no way to fathom their wisdom. All we can really do is describe how they moved. They were careful as when crossing an icy stream. Conscientious as if always being seen. They were respectful as trekkers, hiking through private land. They were elegant and yielding, like a melting icicle in the morning sun. They were natural, like unfinished wood. They were wide open, like a valley, which lets muddy floodwaters tussle its landscape and then lets the silt settle in clarified streams. Then it stirs up still pools once again, reawakening life. Tao surfers don't overindulge. Since they don't overindulge, they mature peacefully, feeling younger than they've ever been. Yeah, I guess that's that's definitely my favorite chapter. <laughs> what do you get from that? Um, well, I you know, of course there's that piece they were natural like unfinished wood. Mm. Um, I was um kind of thinking about when you mentioned like your aesthetics and even you know, I I guess I take it as, you know, even with your own self, you know, not putting on certain airs or, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and it's like, you get the sense that they, like the way they're describing this, they knew, they know very much who they are yeah, in a way that allows them to sort of interact in a certain way with the whole world around them that brings peace, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, instead of, you know, just getting lost in the chaos of whatever the world is, yeah. um, that kind of peace. So it's like, not only is it other things, but the naturalness is even something of ourselves. And I think yeah. for me, um, you know, coming out of a religious tradition that just always talks about or often references um, the sinfulness of man and, how inside of us is all this evil, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I'm not denying that certain people... People, people can be evil. People can be but evil. But the idea that our basic nature or natural state is evil is the trick yeah. that I think the, because the powers then, have foisted upon us. Yeah, and then and then it feels like it would be impossible to do nothing but embrace your evil nature. And I would say that going back to your natural state um, and not buying into that lie gives you the freedom and the ability to make other choices. Yeah. I mean, you have choices. You don't have to, you know, like, and we might, you know, there might be something where you know is darn well good for you and you just can't possibly do it but 
you could just one day decide, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to do that right thing. I'm going, you know, you, I don't know. I think that that's where real growth happens. That's where real change happens. That's where, uh, you can sort of even ultimately embrace enlightenment Yeah. or, you know, I mean, it's already, it's, that is enlightenment. It is there. Staring at the uncarved wood, looking at natural things and understanding them and, and being aware of them, paying attention, awakening, being present in that is enlightenment, according to some. And those some people right. I agree with. <laughs> well, and then some people can maybe live constantly in that state or other times you just get glimpses of that state. And I do know that when I have ever like branched into and saw these glimpses that there is something very deeply peaceful about those moments. Well, wouldn't you say that the, like the Zen gardens up at the, the Japanese rose, uh, the Japanese gardens down here in Portland kind of do that, you know, you can get into some of those spaces. It's a very groovy place to sit. It is very groovy. The thing that, the thing that always like that kind of started to strike me about walking around in the Japanese garden was how contrived everything was. It felt a little, it was shaped. It was. So I personally, I really enjoyed like taking a hike, say, especially like when we were living in Washington, we would just go into the forest. You want it a little bit more messy. And, and it's just, natural <laughs> it is what it is and i think that there is something um there is there is beauty in the formation of these mm-hmm. gardens and i'm not dissing anybody that yeah. wants to you just talk about your experience a, of a it. garden yeah. but i find it less uh relaxing than interesting for my personality type it's perfectly groomed kind of like the when the rocks are groomed perfectly it reminded you baby of your parents uh house with the the carpet being the, oh the, the, yeah, they they yeah. So they very similar. At the Japanese garden, there was an area where they like a couple different areas, but where they so completely groom like the the rocks, as you were saying. Yeah. That there's a there's, really cool tradition to it. There's no footprint in it. Yeah. There's nothing, right. and it took me back to yeah my childhood when uh, we would specially vacuum the living room, right? And you get the nice little vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like marks in yeah, the living room, like and a then baseball we field. and we weren't allowed to go into the living room unless we were greeting guests. So guests would come into this masterpiece per- of yeah. perfectly, yeah, I see you know, vacuumed yeah. floor. And then, you know, that was how my parents felt comfortable greeting people coming into the house as yep. if like this is the state of where it, they felt most welcoming. Um, I just felt that it was, um, well, one, it was like, oh, don't put a footprint on the mm. carpet, you know, and like, but it also felt like kind of, in a sense, kind of a, a lost space in the house of usefulness or, mm. you know, or a place at, to, to be and hang out because it was saved for that time when somebody's going to come over, mm-hmm. you know? And so since it wasn't, you know, like a natural place to just hang out and meet together as a family, <laughs> it was, it, you know, it, it mm. like, it almost, it had its utility, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, you know, 
part of the overall square footage in, of the house unless yeah. we're recruiting somebody. But so I, I think with the Japanese garden, part of what I, um, I think I sense in there is I'm almost like my, it's almost so perfect that my brain is like looking to see, well, is this off or where is it off? Or things right. will stand out when they are slightly off because it's like, Interesting. it has to be so groomed. So I, I don't like get lost in just the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I just see the perfection mm, of it. Interesting. Or yeah. lack thereof. No, it makes sense. I think, um, uh, now there's a couple things that are interesting here. One is that if you're going back just to the issue of beholding nature, it also helps us recognize that we are part of nature. That's the best thing about yeah. Taoist art, that we're in it. So the classic here, you know, on our wall here, there's the dude fishing, and he's just a little part of this big natural landscape. That's part of the Taoist art aesthetic, and it's very different from Thomas Kincaid, right? Like, it's, 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 it's you're part of nature. Our original plan with the Tao Surfer Ranch down in Escondido was to try to be able to build buildings that we could live in that were very fit. They, they, they kind of naturally were part of the our little glen there. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost, you know, I wanted to have almost no walls. You know, we could close it, but that you could open it up and just be in, in on a nice day out in nature. Mm-hmm. A lot of open, um, you know, roofs with open stuff. And I think that's that, that part of the Taoist aesthetic for architecture and art really important because it also shows that we are part of nature and even the things that are artificial are part of nature. Mm-hmm. Maybe a misfiring of, of our best, you know, qualities, but it's, it, you know, that's part of it. Alan Watts has probably, uh, he has some appreciation for that. I, I have an appreciation for the, the kind of raking, like the little uh, rock garden raking mm-hmm. that my kids do with the uh, beetles yeah. that we have at our place. They'll like open it up and they like, kind of clean it up for them and make it look nice. And I, I do like that because there's also part of that, that human beings kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden, they are cultivating this naturalness. And there was a great line I remember from, uh, from Alan Watts where he says the kind of the Zen gardening flow is that you're supposed to make the garden look more natural than it otherwise would. (laughs) Right. So you're trying to primp it up a little bit to make it natural. But I think that's part of it. That's okay. You you know, you just grab some, somebody's cuttings off of their, you know, their landscape uh, work and just throw it in a pile on the floor. That's just messy. Yeah. So part of it is taking it. I mean, it's kind of what, this is what Sydney does. She takes the flower and then arranges it. Yeah. So there is that arrangement. There is a relationship with nature that I think can be helpful, but that's not to take away from what you're rightly noting about yourself, that this is when you see this perfectly manicured space, that it sometimes does not give you the same comfort level. And I think that's true for us having grown up in a very clean, very manicured suburbia in Orange County, we are somehow healed by the absolute messiness of the walks outside. It, it, there's graffiti, there's trees. It's an interesting thing, but I don't mind it. I kind of like it. Well, I'm part of it. Because it, it's messy. <laughs> well, and, and there's, um, there's a piece of it that feels real 
rather than contrived. And That's so, the key. If, I guess, if we're if we're struggling and it looks like a struggle out there, at least it feels like it fits. Yeah, like you kind of wonder, almost like I don't know the movie Truman Show. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. like oh this this well, whole wise. neighborhood is so manicured and perfect um but then it's like what is it masking like you know it's like and then what really is going on you don't really know what's going on because everything is so manicured like you know um even just you know artificially watering all of these lawns and things like that that you don't really like you know, you don't really know you're in a drought until you're not allowed to water your lawns anymore, right. you know, right. and eventually, you know, sometimes cities do have, in California, they would put restrictions on that. Um, because- no, th- lawns are really the, the a great example of, of some of the silliness, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, if, you, if you're in a place where the lawn would be better suited for natural plants. Well, as well as, I mean, what they, you know, say here in Portland, you see signs or whatever, it's like, use your, use your yard as a garden, you know, not for growing lawns, Ah, you know. This takes me to my, the last thing I want to make sure I get in before we're done. Um, I think the other thing about naturalness also is about wealth. By not trying to have all these manufactured things that we've put our stamps on and we've, we've made them up we forced them into some mold that we wanted by being in a relationship with nature. We also become rich because you go to the beach. It can be free and it's everything. The beach is better than the inside of Caesar's palace Mm, to mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. I like visiting fun, interesting things like Caesar's palace, but generally speaking, just sitting at the beach is very, very rewarding. And if you can get there, not too expensive. Going into the mountains, wherever, whatever those areas even, are in your world. I even think of um, like how the feeling of um, when you're near the power of a waterfall. Yeah. And how powerful water can be as it's coming, crashing down from, you know, like this mist that gets sprayed up. It's like yeah. almost like it creates this like wind, this force, like that can just like, you know, blow your hair back. You know, it's, it, it's, Fascinating. The wealthiest I ever felt was when we were living in a vehicle on the road and we'd just kind of come out into our backyard that was vastness. Mm-hmm. That was the wealthiest. It was, this is the great principle for the Taoist tradition of simplicity and minimalism. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that um, what also we were forced to do when we were in the camper is to be strategic about what things we brought with us, um, you know, and food wise, well, and everything, like, I think, I think you almost had said, or I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but if like, if something doesn't have at least two uses, (laughs) it probably doesn't work. It's not worth bringing into the camper, like find ways to like get that tool that can be for two things or, you know, like single purpose stuff should be very limited because it's Mm -hmm. only for that one purpose. You kind of need, you only have a limited space. So what, provides, you know, multiple uses that can help you survive. Right. Um, the other thing I do want to circle back to is you meant you were talking about the paintings, um, the Taoist paintings. Yes. Um, we'll put a couple up on the uh, protectyournoggin.org, the show notes. And I would say that, you know, the thing that, you know, strikes me and kind of came to mind when you were talking about the art is there's a lot of times where, you know, we more in the Western culture, you know, highlight people um and make them the the bigger thing to the centerpiece of the portrait and i think that um what's interesting about that 
is often I think that there's a lot of times when you just talk to somebody and you realize they are the center of their universe. They go through life as if they it's them and then the rest of the world interacting with them. Yeah. And it's a you know very egocentric yes. view. The world it. is something to be conquered, exploited, extracted. But it's always owned, how are you dominated. in relation to these other things in the world? What is you're seeing it all from that one perspective of me and how I use or go do this or or in relationship with this person or you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's it's the 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 big me. Mm-hmm. Um and when you can get outside of that thinking mm-hmm. and take yourself sort of almost out of the picture, mm-hmm. then you start to notice all of these other things that are around you. Mm-hmm. It's when you can, that's where you can really truly listen mm-hmm. and learn and know other things, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, because again, it's like you're taking you and all of your like you-ness, <laughs> yeah. if you will. And, you know, it's like, I, I think a lot of times people go through life um, as if they are the star of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think your life is so much richer <laughs> when, um, when you're not the, the main character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what meditation I think helps me to do is to not be, for a moment, at least the main character. Interesting. Um, anyway, um, that's where you can start to see other people's pain, feel their pain. Um, just start to experience the world from a whole different vantage point. Mm. Anyway. And we feel their joy. I mean, resonate with oh, their yeah. flutes. It's not just all of, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, they're, yeah, they're joy. We exist. We come they're, back into our bodies all and All of the, the, beauty that each of these things bring. Um, I, I think one of that's what I appreciated, um, with bird watching yeah. was when you're starting to look for birds, then now you're paying attention to nature. Uh, you become, it becomes really obvious when you're in an area that there are no birds and you're like, well, how come like, yeah, where, are, you know, or even just that there might be birds that are migrating through. You see a bird you haven't seen in your area. So then it's like, you know, it marks the seasons and the time of year. Yeah. Um, but there's like, I used to go through hikes and I'd never even realized, I never really paid much attention to the birds. Um, and then I started, when we started bird watching, then I, the whole bird world started to come alive. And the I was like, there's, yeah. there's so many things here. And then, yes, you're going to, you know, if you'll hear whether that squirrel or something is there because you're also looking, you know, if you're looking for the birds that you'll, you know what I mean? You start Mm -hmm. to hear other sounds and I don't know. Anyway, um, it really did sort of help me to start to actually be in nature and not just walking through with my body in nature, but my head somewhere else. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk a lot about the unbleached silk, but it's a similar kind of thing. It's, it's just the natural aesthetic. So friends, however, you want to connect with this, whether you're near a beach, a mountaintop, a forest, or whether you're in prison and you can just get yourself a twig or an insect or a skyline. The very mindfulness practice of beholding it, embracing it, and recognizing your relationship to it is healing. And that's what we want for you, friends. Deep peace upon peace.
Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.